Welcome to another episode of Tandem Coaching Academy Skipping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast. We are hosts today, Troy Silas and I, Alex Goodenough. And today we have two guests instead of one. Christian and Johannes, they are the part of the Liberators, and they wrote this fascinating scrum book, The Zombie Scrum. Hey, Christian. Hey, Johannes. Hi. Hello. So can you introduce yourself to our guests first? Do you want to go first, Christian? Yeah, sure. Um, well, Christian Verijs, um, one of the two founders of The Liberators, together with Barry Overeem, also author of the Zombie Scrum Survival Guide, not present here today, but I'm representing him too. Um, I'm, a, I'm really excited about Scrum. I've been working with Scrum for 15 years. Um, seen it work really well in a lot of teams, but also not so well in some other teams. I have a background in organizational psychology, which was really weird when I made, the, I have a background in information technology and uh, organizational psychology, which seemed really weird at the time, but it actually makes a lot of sense these days. I'm also a professional scrum trainer for scrum.org. Um, and I really love liberating structures, which we'll probably talk about more in detail later. Right, so I'm Johannes Schato. I'm living just north of Hamburg in Germany. I work for the company Holisticon here, and what I do is organizational consulting. So I help organizations, teams, individuals on the way towards more agility, flexibility, adaptability uh, in their minds, in structures, in all kinds of ways. And like Christian, I guess I also have a kind of a weird background because I, I studied ethnology with a focus on shamanism in the Amazon basin. And I'm also the, the child of two therapists, but I was also really interested in uh, information technology and everything. And, and when I was introduced to Scrum more than a decade ago, then all of these things kind of came together and it was just this watershed moment for me where I thought, wow, I could like all these different things that I thought would never connect actually come together. And right, so, um, I'm I'm the third author of the Zombie Scrum Survival Guide, and I I hope I think I am a friend of Christian Zimbaris. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Good to have you here. And uh, let's start from the beginning. So apparently, there's good Scrum, there's bad Scrum, and there's this zombie Scrum. What is that? So. We like to introduce Zombie Scrum by talking about uh, the beating heart of Scrum, uh, which is, <laughs> Christian always has this nice gesture on his shirt that shows that it is a beating heart. Um, so there's this rhythm in Scrum, and it, it's all about actually delivering working software. Um, and this is something that is missing from Zombie Scrum teams. So what we found is that a lot of teams working with Scrum and trying to be more agile, what happens is that they actually operate in a kind of lifeless environment that makes them do things that don't make a lot of sense and also are not really effective. And that's that's kind of our um, entry point for the book and um, yeah, for our work essentially. Yeah, and it's always nice to see that in some organizations, I, I've worked for as an agile coach for quite a while and I would enter different organizations and I would have this checklist in my mind, like what are the things I'm looking for? And I know Johanna said that too and Barry too. 
And sometimes you could check all the things on that list, but it still didn't work. And I think that that's what we're trying to capture with zombie scrum. So everything that you would expect from scrum is there, or at least it seems to be there until you look closer and you see it's it's not really there. Hmm. And seriously, I just, I just cannot let it go. I wouldn't be doing my job if <laughs> I would just let it slide. You guys have this, as you said, weird background psychology and I, I cannot even say like shamanism for Johannes. Right. How did that help you in coming up with this idea of zombie scrum? So for me, uh, what was really important is that one of the things that I learned uh, doing my studies, but also I think that was kind of imprinted in me from my uh, childhood is that things are often constructed and things don't have to be the way that they are currently. So for example, if an organization operates in a certain way, then that's a choice. That's, that's not a, a law that was, that was passed down from nature or anything, but it's, it's a choice. And it's, um, those are choices that make, people make consistently and that kind of reinforce the whole system. Um, and I think that helped me see kind of outside um, of that whole paradigm of, you know, like, this is the way things are around here. Um, that's nothing to be done, but really like, um, yeah, but we're flexible. We can, we can do something else. Um, it might be difficult, but there's always something you can do. Um, and I think that's at least for me, that's how my, how my background definitely shaped the whole thing. That's interesting. We never talked about this, Johannes, but we should have talked about this more because it's interesting because actually, very similar to what I what I had in mind is um, when I came from this background of information technology, I had this, I looked at organizations from the perspective of structure, our technology, like what are they using? Um, it's very, I don't know if that makes sense, blue. It's, it's one of the, you have different management models and blue is very much focused on structure. Um, and in organizational psychology, it's all about social perception. So how are you how are you seeing the people around you? What what concepts do you have to understand what's happening around you? That's exactly what you just said, Johannes. Um, and and it's about culture, like the the aggregation of all those concepts make organizational culture. And organizational psychologists are very occupied with how can you understand that? How can you change those systems? And ultimately, it's all about people, um, which is it's an it's completely obvious, but it's so clear to me now. Um, but when I started with Scrum, very few people were talking about the people aspects of it. It was very much focused on the en engineering practices and the technical skills, but it's about people. And I think that that's really interesting. That's how our background seemed to have helped here. Yeah, it's surprising how great of a shift it was in the last several years from oh, we're doing this thing, we're delivering software to actually we're building the teams. Actually, the teams are something bigger than mm -hmm. the collection of individuals. And what Johannes is saying is absolutely kind of uh, jiving really well with uh, what we do in coaching. I hear a lot that somebody makes me feel that somebody kind of like makes me do that. And I'm like, nobody can make you feel it's a choice. And is the choice that we all are making, whether it's human beings, whether it's teams, human systems, and all that good stuff. Absolutely fascinating parallels. 
Great. So we watch a lot of zombie movies in my family, whether by choice or not, for me, I'm there. And what I've noticed is the way they get rid of zombies in the movies is they like shoot them in the head. So how are you getting rid of the zombies in the organizations you work in? I suspect that you're not shooting them in the head. No, and thank you for, for making that connection because that's actually one of the reasons why we were a bit hesitant about the metaphor initially, uh, because we picked the metaphor to emphasize the sluggishness, the, the lack of soul. Um, it's not really, it looks like a human, but it's not really a human. It's, um, but we emphasize very strongly in the book, but also in our own work with, with scrum teams is zombie scrum is a condition. You cannot blame the team for it that they are, they have that condition and, and it's not something that individuals have. It's more a, a characteristic of the system. Um, and I think that that helps to take away the idea of we have to punish the, the scrum zombies. I don't think we actually call them scrum zombies anywhere in the book specifically for that reason, because we don't want to single out individuals. We assume that people are doing the best they can. And sometimes the result is zombie scrum, but that's not because of bad intentions. In themselves so no don't go around around shooting people obviously not um but how else right so um what would you say on what, what what's your take on the what else right so um our approach to this whole thing is that we like in a book we outline kind of these five categories uh and these really help people just to first of all, understand what Scrum is for and what it was kind of designed to do and whether that actually matches with what they're trying to achieve. And then there are four things uh, in which we kind of categorize healthy Scrum and how, show how zombie Scrum differs from that. And a big uh, part of our book is that for each of these sections, we give the reader several experiments to try. So something that we wanted to do was to get people active immediately not just learn about the theory and the backgrounds, but um, something they can do right away to make some kind of improvement. What we found with zombie scrum teams is that they, the, uh, the people within those teams, they often feel powerless within the, the bigger system. So we didn't write the whole book about how to change the whole system, how to implement uh, or how to uh, make an, a whole organization agile but really for those people who feel that way, something that they can do to make some kind of impact that helps them in their daily life. Because from our perspective, that is something that was really needed. So the people we, we talked to, uh, they, they usually, uh, it was interesting for them to, to listen to the bigger picture and why things happen in a certain way and what might be needed, but that didn't help them or the, there wasn't much that they were able to do on, uh, on a team level. Uh, and that's that's kind of the, yeah, w one of the bigger parts in the book um, that there are experiments that people can try right away. Very interesting. So if this infection is in the system, how does it actually get there? So I'll start and then Christian will take over. So um, it, for us, it starts with the sentiment behind trying to use scrum right um most organizations or when when organizations start using scrum they have some reason for doing that and then the question is what are they trying to get out of it and is scrum something that can actually deliver on on that hope 
Um, and we we outline in the book that in our um, in our opinion, and it's it's definitely based on something. Um, Scrum helps you be more flexible and adaptive, and that's for example, that's not the same thing as just getting more output. That's something that a lot of organizations are hoping for. That kind of everything is going to stay the same, and then the teams do these fun iterations or whatever, uh, and we will just get more software, whatever that is, uh, in the end. Um, and so that's usually how it gets started, that there's a mismatch between what Scrum is able to offer and what, they, um, what the organization is hoping for, what it is designed to do, what the structures help to do. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's, there, there's, a, there's a tension that arises and that if it's not dissolved, uh, for example, by restructuring the organization or making some changes for more flexibility or creating more autonomy for the teams, for example, then um, we believe that's how Zombie Scrum gets started. But there's more, Christian. There's more, yeah. And so what you what Johannes already captured nicely is that the, sort of the lack of understanding of why we're doing Scrum in the first place and how it's about managing the risk of complex work, but two things that we really see are actually four things that we really see that cause zombie scrum. The first two are when teams don't ship fast at all. And we, we call it ship it fast in the book because it's a nice short sentence. We simply mean teams never release anything to production. They never release anything to their customers. Maybe they have some internal staging environment that they release to every sprint, but nothing actually goes to the stakeholders. Um, so, so that's one of, one of the things that goes wrong. The second thing is that the stakeholders are never included uh, in the process. So, and in this case, I'm talking about actual stakeholders, like the people that actually have a stake in the product, either because they pay for it or they are going to be significant users of that product, or maybe they already are. So I'm not talking about the employee from the marketing department who also has an opinion about the product. That's an important person to include, but that's not a stakeholder. Stakeholder actually has a stake in it. And what we see in zombie scrum teams is that they often include the wrong stakeholders or no stakeholders at all. And we talk about the, the wrong stakeholders as sort of the audience in the, in, the, in the zombie scrum survival guide. They have an opinion about it, but they don't have a personal stake in it. So building what stakeholders need, ship it fast. Those are the two pillars. And those two pillars are made possible by two other areas, which is what Johannes already mentioned, autonomy, the degree to which teams are self-managing and cross-functional, which we collectively describe as self-organized in, in the book or self-manage. Um, and then there's also continuous improvement. So a process whereby teams continuously try to figure out what is happening, what can we do better, and are we actually doing things better? Um, that's sort of the core model that we present in our book. So team autonomy, continuous improvement, stakeholder collaboration, and releasing releasing frequently. So I was almost waiting for the third one that it's a virus and we all need to wear <laughs> face masks. Apparently that's not the cure. I have a face mask with zombies on it. Some... <laughs> we were thinking about putting it in the web shop as a sort of a nice to have, but it felt yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> we just we just like to point out again that this all started before COVID. So um, when when that happened, there was a moment when we were like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and, the world uh, has it. 
<laughs> and I, I know, Cherie, for example, you were part of at least one workshop, right? And we, we handed out these face masks to people in the workshops as a joke. And then later it was actually like, these come in useful at the moment. And we were looking at old pictures. Hey, do you remember a year ago when this was just a joke and now everybody's actually wearing face masks? But uh, people seem to respond, still uh, seem to respond well to the metaphor and uh, know that it's, you know, kind of funny uh, and, and nothing serious. That's right, Alex. You didn't know that at a conference I got to be a zombie. That's so true. you got a mask. I I got the whole. I was the, I had the makeup and everything. I was the whole zombie. <laughs> All right. So um, you guys are and you're talking a lot about teams and how kind of what what the impact on the team this environment has, right? However, uh, in Agile community, we talk a lot about uh, this Agile transformation, which I have my own kind of problems with. Mm -hmm. um, however, we need to admit that it's a fact of life that a lot of organizations are doing this Agile transformation for good or bad reason, right? And we kind of probably all agree that bottom-up approach in big organizations doesn't work or is not as effective as the leadership has to come from the top, right? And leadership has to have a mindset and they have to have the right approach. So what's the role of leadership in introducing the zombie atmosphere or maybe eliminating it? So that, that might be a topic for the next book that we, <laughs> we're going to write. We still have to talk about it. No, but so the thing is that um, it, it plays a huge role, in my opinion. Christiana would be really interested in hearing yours. But um, so what we talked about, for example, the, the organizational structures and the processes and the, the mindset are definitely shaped by the whole leadership thing. Um, and there are different ways of approaching this. So we, we, we discussed whether um, we should kind of focus on teams uh, it, with the book and our work, or if we should focus on on leadership first, because it has often more of an impact. But what we found was that the, the people we talked to most were actually based on the team level. And no one addressed that issue of, like we said, being helpless and feeling powerless within a system. I believe that um, leadership could potentially play a huge role in this or play a huge role in mitigating um, those circumstances, uh, especially by educating themselves on what agility actually is, um, not just maybe reading a book or reading some article online or in some, some magazine, but um, really understanding what the, the aim is and really getting clear on where in within the organization that actually helps or that, that is something like um, that addresses some kind of need that they're facing in, in some part of an organization. I personally, I, I don't think there's something like the fully agile organization because I believe you need stability in certain parts of an organization and you always need to match your approach to what your environment actually requires. Um, and like to me, that's one of the big leadership skills of making that distinction, but also then going really like full in. If, if there's a, a part that needs more flexibility, then you need to know that 
that's a completely different approach. It's not the same. It's not slightly different. It's very different. Uh, and then the rules really change. Um, for example, the whole autonomy thing that we just talked about, that is usually something that needs to come from leadership or there's um, in, a, in traditional organizations, that is not something that just emerges on its own or can just be taken. But usually um, it, the leadership role is to create environments in which that autonomy can be taken and people also want to take it and they can take it um and yeah christian just add anything to this point yeah that's already such a great answer i'm thinking what to add maybe one thing is that it, 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 like Jan's already said in the book we don't really talk about the role of leadership because that the focus is really on the scrum teams and what they have what they can control but we do offer some experiments on how to actually involve leadership in, in the process, for example, by sharing a, an impediment newsletter, like what are the impediments that you're running into as a team? I, I used to do this with a, a colleague of mine in, a, in a, an organization where I worked for a while, and that worked really well. So every sprint, we would send out a newsletter with some of the results of the sprint, but also the biggest impediment that the team ran into that sprint. Um, and it was a great way for management to see what was going on and, and often to, to try to help out because people in a management position also want to help. They often don't know how to help and where to help. So if you make that easy for them, that's, that's also a good way to do it. And to add to Johannes's point about the team autonomy, what we can really see already also from the, the data that we're collecting with the survey is that if teams have high degrees of autonomy, they are far more, they are far less dependent on management support in general to be effective. So if, if there's anything to start with, it's really, create autonomous teams, make sure they can self-manage as much as possible with regards to the work on the product. The rest will flow from there. So they will it will make it easier to continuously improve. It will make it easier to work with stakeholders. It will make it easier for them to release frequently. So team autonomy is, is where it starts. So, and I cannot uh, not to follow up on the word that you said there, we are experimenting and we love our experiments, we love our hypothesis, right? And we love the data, right? Because you always need the data to see like what works and what doesn't, and then is a pivot of persevere. So what kind of data do you have right now to kind of prove or disprove your hypothesis that what you're promising and that what you're suggesting is actually working? Which which hypothesis are you referring to specifically? To like manage? the whole the whole zombie scrum. We think that doing this will eliminate or I don't know diminish zombie scrum. Mm -hmm. Well, I th I think one part of this, but Jonas can can maybe add his part to that. Is th the first part of this is basically our own experience with the scrum teams that we've worked with. We've seen that if if you work, for example, on autonomy, then things will are more likely to improve. Um, but obviously our experience is only is colored by our own glasses. So that's why we're that's why it's so important for us to also have a more objective instrument like the survey that we already mentioned a couple of times. It's a way for us to gather data and see what's actually happening in scrum teams without our glasses in front of them. And with that data, we can actually validate some of these hypotheses and we're still writing out the publication for this, but it seems to confirm quite nicely the picture that we have, the hypothesis that we have. Yes, team autonomy increases continuous improvement in teams. Yes, that in turn increases stakeholder collaboration and that in turn makes it easier to release frequently. 
if you don't release frequently, but if you involve your stakeholders all the time, it doesn't really matter because they're not going to get anything because you're not releasing frequently. So a lot of those hypotheses that we talk about in the book are actually in the process of being validated with not just our own experience, but also with objective data or more objective data. Yeah, but eventually would also like to take it one step further that we can match. Um, so we suggest certain experiments and then we would also like to collect data on those. So um, for example, measure before try an experiment and then measure afterwards to see if that actually helped. Um, and we, are, we will try to create a community in which we can gather more data on what is actually effective in fighting this. So far, it's mostly our own experience and um, small tests with uh, other people. Um, but yeah, we would also like to make this more data-driven and yeah, like, like I said, create a community around that to really find out what helps and what is effective. So Christian, you mentioned a survey a few times. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and what data you're collecting and why? Why? <laughs> well, I think, Johannes, the idea for the survey, correct me if I'm wrong, is that we started collecting our own observations about what is typical for zombie scrum teams and what distinguishes them from healthy scrum teams. And when we created that list, we all of a sudden thought, wait, we can actually turn this into a survey and help teams diagnose themselves. Um, so that's what, what we started with. And if you go to survey.zombiescrum.org, you can actually fill in that survey now. It's evolved over time quite a bit, I have to say. Um, but the nice thing is that this was for us a way to, not only for us to gather data about what actually makes Scrum Team successful or not successful, but also to help teams diagnose their own situation and to give them feedback on that data. So it, it is a survey, yes, but there's also a profile that you get at the end of filling in the survey. And in that profile are a lot of the recommendations that can help. We refer to experiments from the book. We refer to do-it-yourself workshops that people can use within their own organization. And the survey is free. And most of that content is also free. So it's just a way for us to help a lot of teams that are stuck in zombie scrum to find ways to improve. And as you all already said, hopefully as data-driven as possible. Um, and we're moving in that direction quite nicely, I think, so far. All right. So what would you say that, you know, if I got your book, I read through it. At the end, what am I going to come out with that I didn't have before that's going to be really, really helpful for me? Hope. Mm. That's, um, and I, oh, I kind of, we, hope, we kind hope of, is not a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we sometimes joke about this a bit, but uh, there's a, there's a serious part to this, which is uh, what we found is actually that so many people in these teams feel hopeless and they feel powerless. And if they just feel like maybe there is something I can do, or maybe there's something I can try tomorrow that is just going to improve it a bit. That's really what we're looking for, that we break through this lifelessness and this resignation within people that, um, that makes them stuck. Um, and, and it's, so when we say hope, what we also mean is this drive for just trying one more time or spreading a bit of joy or um, seeing things in a different light. 
And I think that's that's really the the basic message in in the whole book. Yeah, you know, it's um, when I work in different companies, I find that every one of them thinks it's just us. I'm all alone. No one else experiences <laughs> yeah. this. And um, so I agree that seeing what's actually happening outside of their own space in the world and that this is repetitive, I, I think that can um, take away some of that all aloneness and mm -hmm. let people know that you know, others are surviving this. No organization is perfect. We've all got challenges. Right. So, so one of the first things that we noticed when we were using or when we were testing this metaphor because like Christian said, we weren't really sure whether we could use it or people would find it offensive. But what happened was that people were absolutely delighted and relieved and people walked up to me and said, it has a name. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just us, it, it has a name. And then what we found was that once people can categorize it or they have a language where they can start talking about it and that really helps that they... Uh, they feel connected. They feel like it might be manageable. It's not just, um, you know, often we we project onto certain people in, in a system, uh, like this isn't working because of them or um, because of this structure. But um, knowing that this is kind of a dynamic that, the, that we see very often and that there might be an antidote, that, that's something that helped a lot of people. And to me, um, after releasing the book, a lot of people reached out, sending messages, and those are the things that really make it worthwhile. Just hearing from someone, uh, listen, this this helped. Or um, I talked with my team about this. Uh, we took the survey. We read this blog post, um, uh, and it made some kind of impact. And that that really also gives me hope. But it's it's really nice to hear that and see that. All right. So I guess I get I, I, I get it, guys. The world is broken. <laughs> it's it's zombie. So you are offering a cure to fix the zombie scrum. I know that Ryan Ripley and the company offers to fix your scrum. So what if I am a leader and I've been living under a rock for the last, I don't know, 10 years. And now I'm I'm emerging and I'm like, oh, there's this new thing, Scrum. I want to I want to be in the front on the front lines, right? And so I hear that I need to deliver. Often, I need to get things out. Uh, I need to involve stakeholders. Is that all that I need to be doing to avoid zombie scrum in my organization, or is there anything else? Well, it's obviously also about having an autonomous team to be able to do that with as little dependencies as possible. So to consistently, as a team, look at, so where are we depending on others? What skills do we need that are not currently in our team? And this continuous improvement loop that we also mentioned, that's really important that it's okay if it's not working well right now. Almost every scrum team starts from a position where they cannot work closely with stakeholders and they cannot release frequently, or at least many teams do. So that's okay, but at least diagnose that situation and start improving in small steps towards, towards a situation where you can. Um, and I think our book helps with that. But for example, Fix Your Scrum by Ryan and Todd is also a great book for, for that. There are many other great books that help you in that direction too. Maybe Johannes has more thoughts on this one. Well, in a way, it actually is that simple. 
and what I find is that people often overcomplicate it. Um, what what I notice is that most organizations don't really read the signs that are being given to them by Scrum. You know, if you, I mean, if you actually use Scrum the way it was intended, it is highly disruptive, right? And that's maybe that's something that people should be aware of. That if you try this, it's not just this. Like I said before, this nice thing that the developers do with the funny iterations or something but it's it's really like it's going to cause so many problems and that's a good thing um but maybe people are not aware enough that this is going to happen um and then taking that seriously having the discussion of what is it that we need how far do we want to go um you don't have to go 100 all the time but if the situation demands it, maybe then that's a good idea, right? Uh, but for that, you really need to, I mean, if you get into that loop of, of trying to improve and, and shipping fast, then that should already show you so many ways of, uh, of fixing what not, might not be working, what's in the way of agility, that I don't think you need much more. I mean, it's often about like, how exactly do I do this? Or like, do I need a specific method for that? That's okay, but that's usually secondary, and that's something you can find. Or well, if you talk to someone in the community, that's something um, that you can discover. So before we kind of wind down the program, I want to give you an opportunity to say, what's the big thing that you haven't told the world yet that you really want them to understand about this whole zombie scrum and how do we eliminate zombie scrum and all those things. What, what's the main message you want to send? Would you like to take this one, Jonas, or shall I? <laughs> no, you can go first. <laughs> My biggest hope is that after reading the book, people will understand very clearly why they're doing Scrum, not how they're doing Scrum, because there are many books out there that talk about how to do Scrum, but why are you doing it? And why with a lot of different examples, because we share a lot of cases in the book, but also some theory, if you will, to explain that. It's good for teams to know that, but also for the people around them. So I hope that the people around the teams will also read this book or just a summary of the book. That's fine too, but really to understand why you're doing Scrum and how Scrum is a competitive advantage, how it's an asset that makes it easier for your organization to survive in a very dynamic and complex market. That's my personal hope with the book. Yeah, mine is very similar. It connects to something I said earlier that I've, I feel like this distinction between what organizations used to optimize for and what agility needs, um, that's that's one of the crucial points and making a decision whether that is actually helpful. I've worked with organizations where the outcome of my engagement was it, it you don't need this, um, you need other things um, and that's fine. And uh, my hope or like what I'm there for is I want to make people successful and that might mean you need some, some kind of different method. Um, but when, when we use Scrum and when we use Agile people often don't realize that our, um, our definition of success changes fundamentally. And the way that we like in our daily lives say, this is good and this is desirable and this is something we want to achieve. Compared to traditional organizations, that is something that, that changes drastically. And um, 
that knowledge and that awareness is something that is really going to help people if they if they can attain it and if they understand that yeah like i said before it's not just this this tiny thing that you do but um eventually it's going to turn into something much bigger yeah something definitely to be said there focusing on outcomes versus outputs and how scrum actually can bring that in the focus and how exactly. it can help you change the mindset and how you operate. So the book is in the rear view mirror, right? And 2021 hopefully will be a little bit different than 2020. I hope so. <laughs> what are you guys working on? What are you trying to bring to the world and give to the community uh, in 2021? Well, that's a big question because honestly, the year is already so chaotic that I don't know what's, what it's going to bring. Um, but what, what's happening right now is that, uh, as I already mentioned, we're working on a scientific publication of, of the research data that we're collecting with the survey. I'm sure we'll continue with that this year. There are different papers that we want to write about this, um, but that also depends on the scientists that we're collaborating with in their time. Um, so that, that's definitely one thing. We're also continuing to work on, this, on the survey itself to add more features that are requested by stakeholders or users um, and, and hopefully to make it easier, even easier for teams to find help in that survey and the feedback that we give. As for different books, I don't know. I'd love to write more, but we haven't picked a topic yet. Uh, maybe Johannes, I already mentioned leadership, so who knows? <laughs> Well, it's, it's an idea, but um, my main focus is definitely on working more directly with people. So now that the metaphor is out there uh, and we hope we have created some awareness, what I would really like to do is um, have more organizations be aware of this and then uh, being able to work with them on creating people inside the organization who can who can deal with this so that um was something we always try to establish it's kind of like the zombie scrum resistance within organizations um or just you know get people to act as a kind of catalyst within that organization to to fight that uh that issue um and and just yeah being more hands-on that's something that that i would really like to do mm. So basically, people as antidote to zombie scrum love that. Exactly. Creating more of those, right? It's like I, I I cannot not go back, and it's like fighting the virus. It's like injecting the vaccine. Uh, twenty twenty gave us so many great metaphors. All right, so uh, Christian Johannes, uh, really great to uh, have you here. Uh, wishing you a lot of luck and a lot of success in 2021 and beyond. And uh, this has been another episode of Tandem Coaching Academy, Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast. And we've been talking to the authors of Zombie Scrum, uh, Johannes and Christian. We were your hosts, Shui Siles and Alex Goodenough. Bye now.